Dr. Joelle Kerr, a.k.a. Dr. J, is the founder and director of Therapy at the Health Institute. Dr. J has over 13 years of experience in the clinical setting, amateur and professional sports setting as a healthcare practitioner and strength and sport performance enhancement coach. With a Bachelor of Physical Health and Education from the University of Toronto, a licensed chiropractor, and neurofunctional acupuncturist diploma from McMaster Medical School, Dr. J believes in educating and empowering his clients to make informed decisions about their health, including their mental preparation to compete in their sporting arena providing strategies to student athletes to focus on the now and play in the moment is an intrinsic skill set Dr. J is able to provide with motor skill acquisition and cognitive behavior techniques. Growing up, I always want to see more people who look like me that were successful. Can I afford to take a risk to follow my dreams? We are excited to bring you the Make Your Mark podcast, hosted by philanthropist Kim Niles. The Make Your Mark podcast allows you to hear personal stories of resilience by professionals and public figures of color. Our guests unapologetically share their triumphs, lessons learned, and how they found balance in their experiences. Tune in to equip yourself with strategies and coping mechanisms on how to boldly make your mark. Subscribe and listen now. Welcome to the show, Dr. J. How are you? Kim, thank you. Uh, I'm good. I'm good. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited to be on here uh, with you um, talking about me. <laughs> Amazing. So, Dr. Shea, we're just going to get right into it. Tell us about your journey of embarking on your profession of becoming a doctor in chiropractic. Oh, um, honestly, I, I, I really enjoy what I do. And, um, and, I, and, and it's so funny when people ask, how did you get into this profession? Um, and, and I like the, the cliche statement of the profession found me. And I, and I can truly believe that. Um, I've always been an active young man when I was in university or excuse me, high school growing up, really involved with sport. Um, and I, I, I enjoyed eating well as a young person as well. I didn't really eat too much fast food or anything like that, even though I worked at McDonald's, which was pretty funny. But what, what I knew I wanted to do was become a healthcare practitioner. I wanted to become a doctor of some kind. And I wasn't really sure what that exactly meant um, because of where I grew up and what I was exposed to. So my first exposure to um, the profession of being a doctor was through television, which is a, a huge medium back in the 80s. And it still is now to an extent, obviously. But my first exposure to being a doctor and a healthcare practitioner was the Cosby show, the, the, the character, Dr. Heathcliff Huxtable. He, uh, besides being a role model in terms of that character and what he portrayed uh, with his profession, 
is uh, was a pediatrician. He was an OBGYN. And I wanted to become a doctor just like him with regards to his profession, his family setting, all that stuff. Not obviously realizing that it was make-believe because I was a kid at the time. But yeah, that's literally what my first imprint of wanting to become a doctor was from watching The Cosby Show. Wow. So after watching The Cosby Show, were there any other environmental uh, impacts that kind of steered you in that direction into becoming a doctor? Yes, absolutely. Um, Obviously, uh, getting older and and realizing that it was a TV show, because again, like I said, I I was a child at the time. Um, I got into high school and I excelled pretty well in my science courses. Um, and I had a pretty good relationship with my guidance counselor. And and you know what's interesting? Um, when I look back, where a lot of my friends, they were geared towards applied courses and they were geared towards the trades. But when I went into my guidance counselor when I was in grade nine, I looked at her and said that I wanted to become a doctor. And she facilitated everything that I needed to do for that. Like she didn't try to quote unquote, talk me out of it. She didn't try to encourage me to take applied courses or anything like that, which is another form of uh, systemic racism that's happening to our black students. But she didn't do that with me, Ms. McMullen. um, She, she pushed me and made sure I took all my advanced courses and science courses. And she introduced this program called the summer mentorship program at UFT that exposed students of Aboriginal, African, West Indian descent to the sciences at the university level. And I was ecstatic about this program. Um, it was it was it was difficult to get into. It was students all across the GTA. I wrote my application, showed my transcripts, and I was able to get in and it was awesome. It was it was an environment where I was um, not just one of or two black kids in the advanced classes it was all black kids it was over 120 of us and we really bonded and we worked hard together as mock university students and at that time um i don't know where this idea came from i, I thought i wanted to become a a researcher a, a scientist and find a cure for um diseases and whatnot so i had all my courses for this summer mentorship program was geared towards research and i was in labs and i was dissecting dna and rna and all this fun stuff all genetic based stuff Uh, but then quickly realized that my personality didn't really mesh with staring at a a microscope and slides all day long because it was quite boring to be honest so i i got frustrated with my placements and my supervisor she recognized that i was not happy and she reached out and she said, hey, what's going on? And I explained to her, man, this is really boring ass stuff. Um, and she's like, OK, let me let me look into something. And she did. And what she ended up doing was connecting me with a chiropractor. And growing up in the environment that I grew up, I, I just be honest with you, I grew up in the hood um, and I didn't know anything about no chiropractors. And she and in the chiropractic office that she sent me to was in Mississauga. And I lived in Scarborough. So let me tell you something, Kim, like that was one journey to get there. I had to take the 54 bus to LRT Lawrence Station, LRT Kennedy Station, Kennedy Station, all the way to Kipling. Kipling had to walk to the Mississauga bus route, take the Mississauga bus route, and then walk to this woman's office. Two 
and a half hours later. And by the time I got there, I was grumpy, hungry, annoyed. And she brought me into the office and she was a little petite woman. And she had a big, big, big man on the table. She bent him up, twist him up, cracked him up. And I was freaking out like, oh, my gosh, what are you going to do to this guy? You're hurting him. And they both were laughing at me because obviously I didn't know nothing about chiropractic. If anybody is aware of it, chiros adjust joints. It makes a cracking sound. And I heard all of that. And I thought the man's bones were broken. Uh, and they both laughed, like I said, and she sat me down and talked to me about the profession. And it fit a lot with my own personal beliefs of allowing the body to be built on exercise and diet and sleep. and So it really fit with my own personal beliefs. So I was hooked after that. Wow. So let's talk about going into university. You touched a little bit that you went into UTM. What was the course load like? Um, no, I actually didn't go to UTM. I went to downtown UFT, which is the U- real University of Toronto. I'm going to throw, oh, okay. that, throw that shade out there for everyone who went to UFT. <laughs> um, no, I went to downtown UFT uh, because I was in a professional program. It was the physical education and health kinesiology program. Uh, tough to get in again, 110 students. And once again, finding myself in there with two other black students. So there's three of us. And course load wise, it was intense. Don't get me wrong. It was difficult to get in, first of all, like I had already mentioned. And it was a lot of work. It was awesome, though, because it was work that I was passionate about. It was about movement, physical activity. We would study, say, a sport like tennis. And we would look at the physiological components to play tennis, the muscles that are involved, the systems, physiological systems. And we would look at injuries of tennis. And then we would also look at the societal issues with it. At the time, this is when Venus and Serena were just breaking into tennis, two black women. And they they, they tried to, as you know, they tried to uh, discredit uh, their father and his approach to training them. Uh, they tried to say that uh, Serena had quote-unquote man-like structures because she was she was muscular she was strong um and all of that we talked about all of those things in in, in Zed, and that's one of the reasons why i really love that program because we do have a lot of our uh young black men and women who love sports let's just be honest like we we love it and why not study it in a different way other than just playing it made it so much easier for me to uh do well because it was something that i loved Okay. And now following university, you, you embarked on your envision, your vision of opening the health Institute. So tell us about that. Well, um, obviously before opening up the health Institute, I, I obviously got accepted or not exactly accepted. I, excuse me. I, I applied to get into chiropractic school. Um, and that was, um, my first, I guess my first taste of I would use this word, and I don't want anyone to take it um, in a negative connotation, but failure. Uh, I don't look at failure as a bad thing. I look at it as a good thing. Um, So I failed at getting into chiropractic school the first time I applied. Um, I was on the waiting list, uh, but I knew that this is something that I wanted to do. uh, Because like you had just mentioned, I had envisioned a clinic uh, that served my community and really was focused on empowering everyone that walked in there. And I used to see that when I was in university. Um, But before I could actually do it, I had to get into Cairo school, which didn't go as planned. So I was on the waiting list. Uh, This is something I I want every 
young person, anyone actually, doesn't even need to be a young person, but if you really want something and it doesn't work out the first time, like you got to believe that in yourself, uh, as Fred Van Fleet just said this past uh, summer, you got to bet on yourself. So when I didn't get in, I called uh, that office pretty much every single week. And I asked them, how's it going? How are you? Polite, obviously. I just wanted to know what the status of my application was. Is there anything I could do? Can I come into the school? I, I did that every single week, Kim. Every week. I found out in April that I didn't get in, and I called every week all the way until August, I think second week of August. And I got a letter in the mail that said, hey, you know what? You're in. And who knows? Maybe they let me in because somebody dropped out, or maybe they let me in because they actually saw that I wanted to be there. Regardless, I was in, and my dream and envision of opening up the Health Institute was uh, coming into play because now I was actually in the chiropractic school. Okay. Would you say that the Health Institute was your biggest accomplishment? Uh, I would say so because of all the adversity that I had to go through to get get it open. Um, the first adversity was not getting into the Cairo school. And I, I believe the second one was um, my, I think it was my third or fourth year. I almost got kicked out because I couldn't pay tuition. And that was that was a, a, quite a struggle. Uh, no shame. I, I didn't have the money. I was taking loans every which way possible. OSAP, Ontario Provincial Federal. Um, I had a, a bank loan, and then the bank loan, I used up all those funds, and I needed to get another bank loan. I asked everybody and their mama if they could sign, co-sign that for me, and I ended up having to get my family doctor, uh, who's known me since I was three, four years old. He co-signed my last loan so I could complete my schooling, like a complete stranger, but at the same time, he wasn't. But my point is, I, I, I searched high and low to get that that uh, that loan completed so I can finish my school. So yeah, uh, I would definitely say um, getting to open up the Health Institute was definitely one of my greatest accomplishments. And then even, let me even touch on another piece of failure that I presented myself. Uh, in my last year of Cairo school, you had to do placement. And I really rocked my placement, which basically means in the first half of the year, I was pretty much 90% done. So I had to get, say, a number of 90 patients in 12 months. I got 90 patients in six months. You know, all my clinical notes, everything was up to par. So by the time I came into my second half, I thought I knew everything in, out, back, up, down. And when we had to do our final exam uh, to become, to be licensed, I failed it because I was walking in there like, my shit didn't stink and I knew everything. Nobody could tell me nothing. So I didn't study. And as a result, when I got that letter that said I failed, I was like, what the? I, I was beside myself. I could not believe that me. Like, oh my gosh. I cried, I cried, I cried. I only have no shame. I cried my eyes out. So to think back to both of through all that adversity um, and to be able to sit outside my space right now and look up and see the Health Institute in channel letters, which is block letters on a main street in Scarborough, not too far from where I live. It's definitely a big accomplishment. Good for you. And I know earlier we had chatted a little bit about the fact that the early days of the Health Institute started in, I want to say it was a caravan. You started working out of your car. 
servicing parents, servicing clients. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, when I um, when I obviously went back and did my exam and, and passed, I, I started working as an associate at a clinic in Yorkville. Uh, if anybody's familiar with that part of town, it's pretty affluent, and the clinic that I worked at was affluent as well. So the rates were super high, and I always knew that I wanted to work with young people who played sport and aspired to go to the NCAA or CIS or U sport and pursue their dreams that way. So a lot of my clients were were youth, were, were youth, student athletes. And um, initially I spoke with the owner of the clinic and I said, hey, do you think we could just give some of these guys a discount? The rate at the time uh, was near $100 and I was asking for a $25 discount. And they, they were like, yeah, absolutely. They were supportive. They helped me build my practice. Uh, but what was really funny, <laughs> as I look back at that time, um, one of my clients, they uh, suggested or, or wrote me in through BlogTO as a top healthcare practitioner slash trainer in the city. And that got me a lot of nor- notoriety in the city as a result. But the, the article didn't mention the clinic that I worked at. And the clinic owners, uh, they were very upset. They're like, how come you didn't mention us? And I'm like, I didn't even write this article. So as a result of that stinging, they basically said no more discounts. They don't want any more discounts. Um, You're not allowed to give any more discounts. And that really was a petty, foolish thing to do. So as a result, all those clients, I needed to see them somewhere. So I started going to uh, their practices on the side of the court, on the field, tennis courts, ice ice rinks, curling rinks. My point is, my van started becoming my office, and I would drive around, treat them outside in the van outside. It didn't matter, condo units. Uh, that's literally how the Health Institute started rolling out. Pardon the pun. Talk about adversity and a story of resilience, and just basically having to do whatever you needed to do to make sure that you kept in line with your vision. Oh, you know what? I'll have to go back to a university point, actually. Um, I was a pretty good student in high school. And um, and I'm, I, it is a bad thing to admit, but like I, I didn't have to study hard. I just needed to be in the class, listen, go back and do some notes, and I'm good. So I tried to use those same study habits when I presented myself, when I got into university. So in my first year of university, I did all that. And I, I thought I did pretty well, but then all of a sudden, after first midterms, I got a letter from the university saying that I was on academic probation, and I could have uh, lost my mind, which I did initially. But then I was like, "Nah, this is this is crazy." So I was just buckled up, started looking at different ways to study, and put in the work. And then springtime exams came about, and just before they started, I got a letter from the university again saying that they miscalculated my GPA and they made a mistake. So I wasn't on academic probation. So what that did, to be honest with you, is just made me reevaluate the way that I approached my study habits, which was, it, it was good for high school, but it wasn't good for this environment. And I could have let myself stay in that negative space and just beat myself up and say that I wasn't smart and this place wasn't for me and all the typical stuff that we could do when things aren't going our way. But I ignored all of that and just really dug in deep and believed in myself and knew that I needed to be where I needed to be because I had a dream to um, be be in the community, helping the community with their health needs. 
and you accomplished that. Absolutely. I feel so. But I, there's still more work to do. Not satisfied Always. yet. <laughs> Always <laughs> so, more work to do. You know what I mean? And I don't mean that in a way that I'm talking about money. Like, it's not about money. It's not about fame. It's just, like, I, I feel like we still, the, our community still doesn't get it. And what I mean by that is, it is their value of their health. And every every day that I see a new patient and they're coming in for neck pain, back pain, but they're obese, they're high stress, they're in a bad relationship, whatever it is, but yet they're coming in for a musculoskeletal exam. Um, and I'm just trying to get them to realize like your neck pain, shoulder pain is a microcosm to what really needs to be addressed. It's your eating habits, it's your sleep habits, it's your stress level, it's your lack of physical activity. All of those things, if you start focusing on them, you won't have neck pain, you won't have back pain. Um, and that approach, it, it, it works maybe, I'm going to be honest with you, 20 to 25% of the time. Some people will get it and they'll really want to make a lifestyle change. It's not going to get me rich, but I'm not, it's not about that. I'm really trying to get people to understand that they need to do better of taking care of themselves. And this pandemic, oh man, it's really exposing the fact that our community, we don't, we're not taking care of ourselves. We're waiting for something bad to happen. And they're like, oh, okay, um, let me start drinking more water. Let me start going to bed. And by that time, it's too late. Yep, definitely. Looking to consolidate your debt? In the market to purchase your first home? Interested in acquiring an investment property? Look no further. More Freedom is here to serve you. We aim to furnish our clients with the power and the confidence over their finances and a sense of accomplishment of taking the first step to get there. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at I Want More Freedom. And you can always connect with us via our website at morefreedom.ca. I hope that the pandemic has definitely brought it closer to the front forefront that there's no way around taking care of yourself. And it is essential to take care of your physical, mental, and spiritual health. Absolutely. Jay, what is a fundamental lesson that took you the longest to learn? Oh boy. Patience. I would say patience is definitely it. Um, even the establishment of our storefront in Scarborough, I, I, I financially did not have the means to do this when I got out of school. There was, there was no way. Um, but I, I saw it anyway. Like I saw it in my own visions and I believe that it would happen, but it needed patience. And, and, and the interesting thing is I have patience with regards to, um, my profession and workload and whatnot, but it's something on the personal side that I definitely need to allow for it to permeate on that part of my life as well. But patience is definitely something uh, that I would stress with everyone, no matter what profession, no matter what you do, just be patient and stick to your vision, not to quote Maestro, but stick to your vision. (laughs) And, um, Things usually work out the way it needs to. Okay. Tell me about a time you had to confront your emotions versus suppressing them. 
confront my emotions? Um, whew, that's a good question. And we're talking um, like personal emotions, or oh, that doesn't even make any sense. Of course, personal emotions. Um, uh, I would say that I've had a couple of incidences. If if anyone's ever to visit our space, you would see that it is not your typical clinic. Uh, we, prior to this pandemic, we would dress in athletic clothing, shorts, summertime tank top. So um, that's usually how I would dress. Okay, And I could count on one hand. Occasionally, I've had individuals come in who want to speak to the owner. And the owner, obviously, is myself. But then when I come around the corner and I'm dressed in my my Nikes and my shorts and my tank top, the, the look up and down, the you comment like that emotionally, the emotion that I have spewing through my body right there is just straight anger. And I want to uh, throw the person out of my space. But I have to obviously exhibit some form of professionalism, but at the same time, sternly and very specifically inform them that their stereotypes and biases towards what an owner or a doctor looks like is, is trash. Like you can't just paint everyone the same way. Um, and obviously as I start speaking with them and, and answering their questions or, uh, and I don't want to use the word reassure because I don't need to reassure anyone on what I know, especially if you come to me for assistance. And more importantly, if you get referred to me by another healthcare practitioner or a patient of ours, it's not my job to reassure you because somebody already did that. And that's why you reached out in the first place. Uh, so those moments of, I can't even call those systemic racism because that's just blatant racism. When you're coming into my space, questioning who I am, what I look like, and then not believing who I am and what I, and what I have accomplished. So that that's definitely one incident. That's happened a couple of times, I won't lie. And I had to really control my emotions and make sure I don't get myself in any trouble. And so how do you deal with the fact that there is a quote-unquote picture-perfect look of a doctor that people expect to see and you are not the typical look? For those that can't see you, you've got dreads, uh, you wear a beard, you're pretty down to earth. So how, when you show up in rooms, now this was, that example was people coming into your space, but when you go into a space and you introduce yourself or you possibly are introduced, how do you handle that first reaction? Uh, it's it's what, what we're doing right now. It's just communicating clearly. Uh, I feel like a lot of our problems in the world uh, community is the result of just poor communication. Body language is a form of communication. So when I walk into a space and I see the, little, hoo, 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 the stiff up, I know that uh, what I'm dealing with and um, I need to bring the energy and the positivity to squash the negative bias that they may have towards what I look like. So as soon as I start communicating and letting them know what I, I know my stuff and I and you hired me to be here to speak to you, to motivate, to educate or and inspire, I can do it. 
So you got to trust me. Don't look about, don't, don't worry about that. I don't look like um, Tom from, uh, from Kirkland Lake or wherever it is. Um, I, I can, I can deliver exactly what it is that you need. And that starts with the way that I communicate. Uh, I mean, it depends. Like I, if I, if it's really bad, I might um, make a, make a joke just to try to uh, soften the mood or just go right into it and start talking with the straight science talk. The nerd talk is what I call it. It all depends on the, on the, on the room and the mood and how I'm able to read the energy in the room and just to try and calm it down and turn it down and, and then go from there. What's the biggest lesson you've learned about your ego? Oof. Um, it can definitely hold me back. Uh, and it's interesting within this profession, uh, and I guess with any profession, but I will definitely say with, with the healthcare profession, you got to have some form of confidence. And I would prefer confidence over ego. And I've recognized that more over the past year that the, your ego can really push people away, keep people at bay. And it's not anything that you want to have um, as a shining armor because it can really push people in a corner or just literally push them away. Uh, so I, 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 I'm working on exuding confidence and self-awareness, which is super important, more so than uh, my ego. Um, but as I mentioned at the beginning, uh, you, you, you have to have some form of confidence to be in this profession because you got to trust what you know, and what you have seen in the past and what is in front of you to make a decision on how to help someone coming back from a surgical intervention or someone who just broke uh, or tore a tissue right in front of your space or at a sporting event or whatever it may be. You, you can't be freaking out. But to be an egomaniac and just take your time with it or, or not even explain anything that you're doing, that, that is poor bedside manner. And uh, I, I definitely have no problems admitting that I have exhibited some of that in the past. And it has, it has hurt other people. And obviously, it's hurt uh, myself as well. Do you believe you've tapped into your authentic self as yet? Um, I'm in the process of it. It's, I believe that it's, it should be an ongoing, an ongoing process. It's something that you, you don't just get there and, oh, you're like, ah, I'm there. You got to work at it every day. It's like with any relationship, if you're in a relationship with, with another person, uh, just because you're in a relationship just, just doesn't mean it's going to work. Like you got to work at it every day. And I feel like, uh, finding and building my habits to become my authentic self. I'm, I'm constantly working on that, trying to see what works and what doesn't. Uh, so to answer that question, it, it, I guess the honest answer is no, and I'm still working towards it. Okay. What would you say your greatest fear is? Oh, um, hurting other people, I guess. I don't like doing that. Who does? Um, if it's just about me, yeah, hurting other people. And then I guess the other fears for my daughter, just not her not being happy. I want her to be happy and I want her to be healthy and I want her to be strong. Everything else after that is bull. Am I allowed to swear? Yes. <laughs> okay. So you said, so basically just you make not making other people 
unhappy. Hurting not, hurt, not hurting them. So yeah, happy is not necessarily my job. Like it's not my job to make you happy. Like it's your job to make yourself happy. But as I'm interacting with you, um, and if I use language or if I throw things at you that I know can hurt your feelings, um, that's on me. So I don't want to do that. Like I, I want to always be supportive of others. Uh, it doesn't even matter what the extent of the relationship is. And that that's my biggest fear that I'm not able to do that with, uh, with individuals. How do you find balance in all that you do? You just mentioned that you're a father, you're a business owner, and obviously you have a life of your own. So how do you find balance in everything that you do? Um, I'm, I'm really dedicated to um, my, my time in the morning. Um, I'm really trying to play around with that, with my morning routine. Um, and that's, that's my time. And I'm, I'm working hard trying to get up a little bit earlier, but it, it is difficult because of the lack of routine for my daughter at this time. So her schooling starts a little bit later and she doesn't necessarily leave the house anymore. So she's online, but my morning routine is it for me. Um, I, I read, I exercise, I exercise multiple times, actually, uh, do a little bit of cardio, some movement, journal. I read for ref- or for personal growth. Uh, but what I'm missing out on is just reading for um, just to keep myself sharp with my profession. Uh, I, I want to find I want to dedicate specific amounts of time for that because I have some ideas and things that I want to work on. Um, so right now, uh, that's something that I want to improve upon. But I, I'm I, I love my routine so far right now. OK, I mean, it sounds like a holistic approach. So you get up in the morning and you really take the time for yourself to calm yourself down, to kind of center yourself, focus, uh, and really around your mental health as well. Oh, very, very important. Very important. So Jay, how do you react when you feel yourself becoming vulnerable? Uh, I take quiet time, to be honest with you. That's usually where I journal about it. Um, In the past, I will be honest. I would see vulnerability as a weakness, but that perspective has changed quite a bit. Um, and it was presented to me that, that that is definitely nothing to be ashamed of. Um, to be, in order to be vulnerable, that will allow for growth. And I, I was, that was mind boggling to me. But as I sit back and think about exactly what it means to be vulnerable it means to be open it means to allow for different uh forms of uh energy to come in so that you can grow again so um i'm really embracing learning about my vulnerability and it it has allowed for me to see things in a different light it's allowed me to interact with different people Um, it's allowed for growth which is where i'm really interested in doing right now for myself and teaching my daughter as well. Vulnerability definitely is not a popular topic, especially for Black men, uh, because as you said, it is something that is definitely viewed as weakness. And it is so far from weakness. It is actually a strength. As a, Now, I think where there's a bit of confusion sometimes is with vulnerability, people use it as a, a weapon of manipulation. Correct. Right? But if 
you're actually exercising being vulnerable. It is actually a strength to show your emotion versus to tuck it under a rug, as I'd like to call it. So, I mean, kudos to you for continuing on that journey and being open-minded to being vulnerable and, and expressing yourself when necessary. Absolutely. Um, it, it definitely didn't. Uh, it's so weird to even say this, but I didn't even recognize it was something that I was there. Like I, I, I guess the best way I can just describe it is I was just so technical. And you've told me this. We've talked before um, about other projects where you say to me, just be less technical, be less sciencey. And I feel like that permeated into my existence and who I was. And that does obviously that does not allow for vulnerability because everything's just so cut and dry. Everything's just so uh, objective focused and, um, and numbers and, and you know what I mean? So I didn't even recognize that that wasn't even a part of me. I think vulnerability is goes hand in hand with ego and the ego and vulnerability, you know, they fight back and forth because the ego wants you to show up a certain way Whereas vulnerability allows you to show up how you are at the moment. Yeah, I like that. So I think that's the place for, and I think I I spoke about the fact that as a black man, that is difficult, but I believe for anybody that is difficult because nobody ever wants to be hurt. Everybody wants to, they have their protective shell on. And that's where at times we are scared to be vulnerable, but in actuality, vulnerability is a level of strength. Mm Mm-hmm. That when you exude it, and as long as we know why we're showcasing that to the person that we're showing that side to, I think one of the big pieces to that is that we have to feel safe in order to be vulnerable. Absolutely. And then unfortunately, the black man right now, after the summer that we just had of 2020, and not even just the summer, this is a daily, daily thing. Like The black man doesn't feel safe because if we feel like there's a target on our back, um, from law enforcement, from even a relationship that you're in with another person. Uh, You're constantly expected to behave a certain way, walk a certain way, do a certain thing. And if you walk out of that, you get ridiculed, lambasted. Um, There's just so many different forms of abuse that gets thrown at you. And then when you lash out, you you unfortunately are the aggressive one, you're the bad one. And if you flash out too much, you potentially can get fine your ass in, in, in jail. And I and not to try and paint every single situation like this, but I can probably guarantee that most conflict with black men involved began this way, where there's just a lack of communication about how the person feels. They get assumed that they said this or did that. And then when the person tries to communicate, their insults come and the insults might hit a specific uh, past experience. And then the man gets upset and they find themselves having the police called on them. And depending on how that situation goes, if that person can articulate what's going on, then they may just go for the night. But if they can't and they try to fight, resist, and you know what ends up happening. And it's a, it's a vicious 
sad cycle. And it all stems from, uh, like you said, just not feeling safe, not feeling safe within themselves to, to communicate and tell other people how they're feeling. So, I mean, obviously that's a hot topic in terms of the Black man being seen as aggressive, being seen as the target in North America, as a matter of fact, across the world. Do you feel as a young boy growing up, you were taught how to communicate and to, was there space created for you to share your feelings? No. And I'm just going to flat out say no. But I really don't know. I, I I really can't tell you any incident in my teenage years where I found myself having to explain to any law enforcement anything that I, I any, anything. Like I've never been put in that situation. I always found myself not in those situations. Like even though growing up in community housing, I I never really hung out in on the block because of what I aspired to do. Um, I was never home. I was either on the football field, on the basketball court, or in the library. Like I never really stayed around any of my neighborhoods and my on my blocks. So I never really found myself in a situation where I needed to communicate who I was, what I was doing, never been stopped by the police aimlessly walking or when I was driving, maybe uh, maybe two times, but it was for something and, and, and I was able to communicate what the situation was both times, but that was never me. Like I never, ever, ever, ever had to try to explain myself. Um, and it's so funny, actually. I think the last time I got stopped, but I was actually speeding and I was coming to work and the police officer pulled me over, got all the documents necessary. And this fucking part of my language, this guy looked at me. He's like, oh, man, you speak so clearly and well. And, uh, and I'm like, you know what? You, you, too, you speak so clearly and well for a police officer, too. So obviously he was trying to drop some shade on me and I had to just drop it right back. I'm like, what do you mean? Like, what do you expect? But that's the issue. This is the thing. Like, these are what, this is encounters that they've had where men, black men will be doing something wrong, like speeding. And when the, when the officer comes to the car, the amount of aggression that's coming toward, and, and I get it because they potentially had experiences in the past where officers were aggressive with them. So they're now trying to put that same aggression back out. But I've never had those experiences. So when this guy came here to my window, I was ready for him. And crack two joke, I said, yo, I got to get to work. And he's like, oh, what do you do? And then, oh, yeah, that's great. You know what I mean? So I'm talking to him like I know him. And that's where he dropped the, the, the insult of you speak so well. But it, it, it all comes down to your experiences at the end of the day. What did you have experiences when you were growing up? will completely determine how you interact with other people in the future. Tired of being tired? Seeking to build your self-confidence? Are you feeling uncomfortable in your skin? It's time to move with Kim. Studies have shown that in this era of exponential growth of the metabolic syndrome and obesity, 
lifestyle modifications have been proven to be one of the most effective ways to improve your health and quality of life. Let's chat about your goals and how we will get you there. Send your inquiries to hello at kimniles.com and let's start conditioning your mental and physical health today. How do you handle having uncomfortable conversations, whether at work or at home? Uh, I, 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 I like sitting with the situation first. So that would be my morning time where I would spend some time just thinking about how I'm going to handle the situation. And I just confront it head on. Um, I tell the person how their actions made me feel. I tell the person how their actions or words made others feel. And then I try to come up with a solution. And it depends on the person, obviously, if they can manage and handle um, that conversation. And it's it's interesting because sometimes when you present things that will open up wounds for someone in the past, you have to be prepared for them lashing out, even though it may not be because of you, but it's just re, re, hash, re, re, um, reigniting or putting forth old memories of how they were treated when they were a child or when they were in a previous relationship. And it's so funny that you say that because I feel like that's been happening a lot to me recently where I'm recognizing that this isn't me. Like I didn't do this. This is something that this person is dealing with years ago. And unfortunately, a situation has presented itself where if I don't come at this person in the right manner, they could completely blow up. And I could be honest with you, I have learned how to deal with that much better because in the past I've been like, yo, get out of here. Don't want to deal with this. I'm not interested in this conflict. Let's just cut the losses. But now I feel like I'm a lot more calmer, more understanding. Um, and I guess mature is, a, is the right word. <laughs> so more emotionally aware and self-aware of other people's feelings, which is how we all should be operating because everyone has some baggage. Everyone's coming with something. And you can't just as- to assume to write people off so quick without understanding where they're coming from. Definitely. If you understand the author in the beginning, you'll understand the story a lot more and how they respond. Absolutely. Who has made the biggest impression on you, on who you have become today? Uh, that's a good question, boy. Um, definitely someone that I met last year. Um, she definitely opened my eyes to some things that I never even thought about. Um, starting from my relationship with my parents and she really encouraged me to just to open up and have honest conversations with them that I did. And I found out a lot of, a lot about myself that I had no idea at 40, 40 years old. So I definitely will give her the credit for that. Um, she definitely was someone that really steered me in that direction to, to dig deeper, to bury the ego and just really focus on. Um, learning about myself, just being with myself. What is your definition of success? Um, the same thing I have for Najea. Like I just being healthy, happy, and strong. Like that's 
that's something that I really have um, realized I had I didn't put at focus in my my first forty years of life. Being happy doesn't necessarily mean money, as I mentioned before. It just means that I can find more joy in in a lot more things. And finding joy doesn't necessarily mean that you have to do something. Like right now, I'm looking forward to just going home and 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 reading a book for a little bit and just making some dinner and like that's like that. Like I'm happy doing that. Um, and then being healthy, not having any injuries, um, and just working out and getting stronger. Like I, I those just those three simple little things are in my opinion what is my new level of success. In the past it was the idea of having a health institute all over the city, multiple ones and working for sports teams and helping you know what I mean, all that stuff, chase, chase, chase. Not interested in that. Um would you say that the pandemic has brought that made it made life more simple for you to appreciate more of the simple things? Absolutely. Just slowed everything down. Like I had no choice. We all had to slow down. So yeah, absolutely. What is one thing that you would say that the pandemic has taught you? As I just alluded to, just slowing down and, and taking some time to myself. Um, not having to be here, there, and everywhere. Um, in the past, uh, events would be popping up and people would be reaching out and trying to get me to be involved with different things. And so all of that has completely been eliminated. So there's just more time to just sit with myself and my thoughts. So I, I'm very thankful for that. I won't lie. Would you say that this time, based on the fact now that everything's shut down, it will help you to set boundaries better moving forward? Um, absolutely. I will make more time for myself because I'm, I'm enjoying it now. So to try and go back to where we were before, where I was just all over the place, I'm not going to be interested in doing that because I, I'm now in a routine of making time for myself. Okay. And I think the pandemic has come to teach us so many different lessons. Obviously, it's brought a lot of devastation, but I think for me, one of the big things was, is really coming to a complete stop. That's something I've actually never done in my entire life. And really appreciating the small things, because really, that's those are the things that really do matter. Just like you alluded to, in terms of just not having an agenda. You know, it's okay just to, you know, things that, you know, going home and cooking, sitting, having dinner with your daughter, those are things that will bring you joy. And it doesn't have to be with all the noise and all the other things that would we usually would go to when we had the opportunity to. So I would definitely say that the the part of the lessons from the pandemic for me is the part that, you know, joy really comes from within and it also also does peace as well. I absolutely agree with you. So Jay, as we begin to wrap up, what does resilience mean to you? Oh, and again, another new word, new concept to me. Um, resilience is uh, the name of a book that I'm reading right now um, that I'm, I'm enjoying. And I'm telling everybody out there, it's by Eric Gutenis. Uh, he's a, he was a former U.S. Navy SEAL. 
And it's a beautiful book. What I've learned from this word, it means to face challenges and and, and not give up um, and not look at staying in a place of pity and sorrow, but just looking at what's in front of you and working with what you have. Um, that is what I feel like resilience means to me. Um, because at the end of the day, everyone is going to face adversity. And true resilience is after you face the adversity, what are you going to do next? Are you going to sit there and complain that nothing works for you? Or are you going to pick yourself up and just keep going and finding another option, another way to get things done? So that's what resilience means to me. What would be your best piece of advice? Uh, I would, to, to anyone or to myself? Or to anyone. To our students watching or listening. For students listening, I definitely would love for you guys to journal. Write down your thoughts. Write down your feelings every day. Um, it doesn't have to be five pages, a thousand words. It could just be a word, a day, a sentence. Uh, because what's amazing about writing down your thoughts is when you look back a week or a month later and you're in a good space or you're in a tough space or challenging space, these your own words can provide you with inspiration and motivation. And I feel like that is something that's lacking in society more than ever, is that we're always looking for someone else to inspire us when we can we should be looking to do that ourselves. That's my piece of advice. Journal more. Jay, tell us a little bit about the Health Institute, if anyone wanted to visit you and the services you offer there and how they can reach you. Awesome. Uh, the Health Institute is a multidisciplinary clinic, which basically means we have a team of individuals ranging from physical therapy, physiotherapy, chiro, massage therapy, sport massage, uh, chiropractic, I think I said already, naturopathic doctor, uh, strength coaches that range from yoga guys, um, boxing dudes, weightlifting, kettlebell. So as you can see, we have a squad that can take care of your body from head to toe. Uh, obviously, cognitive behavioral therapists as well. My apologies to my boy, Augustine. And the team, if you look at our website, they, they all look like me. Like They were specifically selected because I wanted the representation within the clinic to be of African West Indian descent, uh, because I want to inspire other young Black women and men who are thinking about what to do with their career, with their life, and they, they're involved with sport or they've had an injury before, they can look at the person that's treating them and say, hey, you know what, I can do this too. So all the practitioners um, have descendant from some form of ethnic background. And that's deliberate. I did that on purpose. And we have a very welcoming community. Uh, we don't just work with athletes. We don't just work with people who are physically active. We work with everyone because everyone should be moving their body regularly because exercise is medicine, movement is medicine, movement is meditation. 
And this is the, the doctrine, this is the philosophy that we really stress. That our goal is to teach every single person how to, um, how to build their body and build their frame through exercise and health. And how can people reach you at the Health Institute? Oh, yes. My apologies. Forgot to answer that part of the question. Um, we have, obviously, we have a website called thehealthinstitute.ca. Uh, we are on Instagram at the Health Institute. We're on Twitter, InfoTHI. We're on Snapchat, Team THI. We're on all the social media outlets. Our phone number is 416-546-5077. You can hit us up at the office that way or email info at thehealthinstitute.ca. If you have any questions, any concerns, you want to ask a question, we don't charge for questions. The only charge that we ask for is a thank you after you get the answer you're looking for. And that's pretty much it. And Jay, I know you'd mentioned this. You're open for mentorship as well and high school students coming in to do their co-op. Yes, we are definitely interested in anyone who's interested in this profession. I will tell you this much, that co-op at the Health Institute with me is not easy. I expect a lot. Uh, this is a learning opportunity. This is a learning environment. You will not be spoon-fed. You will be challenged, especially if you are interested in this profession. Uh, you're not just going to stand there and watch. You're going to be engaged, involved. So if anybody is interested in putting in some work um, and, and being exposed to this profession, this is the space for you. But if you don't like work, this isn't the space for you. Let's just be honest. Well said. Dr. J, thank you for your time. Absolutely. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Seriously. Appreciate it. Not a problem. You've been listening to the Make Your Mark podcast. You can visit our website and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at makeyourmark.ca. And please subscribe, rate, and review.